Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. One hundred years ago, a former Washington University professor named Roger Baldwin helped to found a new organization. Its name was the American Civil Liberties Union. You probably know it as the ACLU. And in the same year that Baldwin founded the national organization in New York, he was back in St. Louis, starting what would become the Missouri chapter. That chapter's work continues today. And joining us to discuss it is the organization's executive director. That's Luz Maria Enriquez. Luz, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. And we're also joined today by Miranda Rechtenwald. She's the curator of local history at Washington University Libraries. That organization has a new digital exhibit. It's called ACLU Mo at 100. And she's here today to share what she learned while working on it. So Miranda, welcome. Hi, thank you for having us today. So, Miranda, in my introduction there, I mentioned the name Roger Baldwin. He was one of the co-founders of the ACLU. What brought him to Washington University and St. Louis in the first place? Well, Roger Baldwin had just graduated from Harvard, and he was offered a job teaching at Washington University in the new field of sociology. Hmm. And so he took his first job and came to St. Louis and so then why did he leave St. Louis and, and end up founding this, this organization that now is celebrating 100 years? Miranda? Well, he, he resisted leaving St. Louis, actually, uh, because he became very involved as an activist and an organizer here. And ultimately, it was only his dedication to opposing um, the war as World War I broke out that he finally left St. Louis in 1917, he went back to he went to New York, where the center of anti-militarization um, organizing was occurring, and his sh- focus of activism shifted to opposing the draft and um, working against um, militarization. Okay. And I know Helen Keller was one of the founders of the national organization. Roger Baldwin uh, came back to St. Louis and helped things get started here. Luce, what do we know about the origins of this Missouri chapter just following so quickly after the national one in terms of being founded? Yeah, well, um, I think uh, there's a a big history there. And one of the stories that I'm always very intrigued by is um, how Roger Baldwin met Margaret Sanger. And um, this was even before the ACLU chapter was established here and really started to partner with Margaret Sanger on uh, reproductive rights. And Hmm. I know Miranda can share more about that story. So that was an early um, an early cause uh, focus for the ACLU, Miranda. Yes, um, Roger Baldwin worked with a number of women who were working for birth control, reproductive rights, and also women's rights um, throughout his activism. So he met Margaret Sanger in 1916, um, and then he continued as the ACLU began to support their cause mainly at first from a free speech um, aspect um, because he saw that it was not good for society that people be denied information. He wanted people to be able to hear speakers like Margaret Sanger talk about birth control and not have that speech be criminalized Hmm. um, because he felt like that was the only way people could make up their own minds was to hear the information for themselves. 
It's interesting how some of those um, initial goals, you can see the through line that runs through the ACLU's work today. Luce, does it seem somewhat remarkable that some of these same issues that the organization was talking about 100 years ago, they're the same ones that are on your agenda right now? It really does. Uh, we continue to work in the realm of First Amendment rights and free speech uh, in reproductive justice. Um, and even even in, in policing issues, which was a, a cause that, that we have been taking on since the 1940s. Um, so a lot of our current priorities uh, have, have transformed in a way, but continue to remain those same priorities that we had at the very beginning and onset. And Miranda, yes, on your uh, this WashU library site about the 100 years of the ACLU, you note the struggle to end police brutality and to close inhumane jails is a thread that runs throughout the exhibit, beginning with cases in the 1930s all the way to the present day. Was it interesting to find that through line as you were setting this up? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, and admittedly somewhat heartbreaking to see that the issue of people being denied their due process rights and just simply equality under the law has been such a long fight, but it's also kind of heartening to see that there's been so many activists over the years who have continued to push for progress. I thought, um, I thought know, was... one of the, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. The, the earliest cases through, through to today really carry those threads through. Miranda, I understand your research suggests that an interaction with St. Louis police informed uh, Roger Baldwin's perspective on all this. What what happened to him in in this interaction? Well, Baldwin did become very aware of police and their their power to really influence people um, pretty early on in St. Louis. His personal encounter was in 1914. He was uh, executive secretary for an organization called the St. Louis Civic League, which was, you know, very highly respected. These are folks who were um, upper echelon talking to the mayor on a regular basis. Um, but Baldwin one day had dressed in workman's clothes. He had gone out to far western St. Louis County, which was still very rural at that time. Um, and he came back late one day on the streetcar and the police saw him. Um, appearing out of place and stopped him, basically searched him, demanded to know who he was and what he was doing in you know this in this neighborhood as he was coming back to his home. And they didn't believe him when he told him that he was the executive secretary of of the Civic League, um, which Baldwin was quite upset about. Eventually, a, another streetcar came by and he got on and and was able to continue going home. Um, but Baldwin went to the chief of police the next day and said, you know, why did this happen? And was somewhat appalled to find that the chief of police in 1914 said, well, yes, I told them to stop anyone who appeared out of place hmm. um, and and that that was normal operating procedure. And that is one event that of many interactions with policing um, that Baldwin recalled later in his life that really started him thinking about, you know, what power the police had to to really affect society in a in a a different way than just simply solving crimes. Hmm. Now, as part of this exhibit, you also published a blog post reflecting on the 1946 killing of William Howard. Tell us a little bit about that. Who was he? Yeah, William Howard is a name that I was not familiar with in St. Louis history, and I I particularly highlighted it because he was an African-American man who was a 
army veteran in 1946 who had come back from fighting in World War II. And one day he got into an altercation in an alley with an off-duty police officer who was white. Um, they had an argument. The police officer claimed that um, William had drawn a gun. Um, and it, there was conflicting information. And in the end, um, he was shot. Um, the, the facts of that are, of course, sad. Um, but after that, after his death, there was a push by the NAACP in St. Louis and also the Chicago chapter um, and the ACLU of Missouri, which was at that time known as the St. Louis Civil Liberties Committee. Um, they really they really got involved and tried to help organize, um, reached out to the Department of Justice and tried to get a federal investigation into matters um, because the St. Louis police really didn't seem to be investigating the case very thoroughly. The coroner initially ruled that it had been just like an accidental killing, that there wasn't anything criminal. Hmm. Um, and this drug on for a number of years and ultimately the Department of Justice came back and said that they had looked into this case of William Howard's death. And even if it had been a murder, that there was no federal law that they could um, that they could bring any justice under, because at that time there were no federal criminal justice laws protecting um, civil rights. So ultimately so nobody was prosecuted. That case really kind of spoke out to me because... And no, it was never prosecuted. Okay. And you said that case stood out to you. Why? Um, it really stood out to me because it is such the case that we still continue today. The idea of um, people who have lost their lives in interactions with police officers um, who then don't receive justice. We're talking about 100 years of the ACLU with Miranda Rechtenwald. She's the curator of local history at Washington University Libraries. And we're also joined by the ACLU of Missouri's executive director. That's Luz Maria Enriquez. Um, I want to talk about another key figure in local ACLU history. This is Joyce Armstrong. She was the first paid executive director for the Eastern Missouri chapter, and she led it for about 25 years. Luz, is this still a name that you hear in the hallways there at, at the ACLU of Missouri, people talking about what Joyce Armstrong did. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I am incredibly honored to have had the opportunity to meet Joyce in person at our centennial um, in St. Louis back in January. And um, she is still uh, an active member of the ACLU. And I have uh, I have the great honor to to be able to consult with her and talk with her. That's great to hear. So she's still going strong. Absolutely. <laughs> so one of the cases that she got involved with is one of the most controversial that the ACLU has ever done, which is saying a lot for the ACLU. The ACLU gets in a lot of controversies. That's just part of, of being sticklers for civil rights. Um, and this was that she fought for the Nazis' right to march. Um, the St. Louis Beacon wrote about this. To her and to the organization as a whole, the principle was clear. The government can't discriminate against any viewpoint in deciding who gets a permit to march and who does not. This was free speech in action she says. Miranda, did the organization suffer some pretty bad fallout from that? Oh, it, it certainly did. Um, and understandably, it was upsetting to many people, 
particularly in the Jewish community in St. Louis, um, why would someone be protecting, so to speak, Nazis? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the most interesting aspect I learned about Joyce's interaction with that um, was the way that Joyce contacted the St. Louis mayor at the time um, and said, you know, the best thing you can do is to not give these people a platform by denying them a permit Hmm. because they're trying to get attention by being denied. If you just say, yes, they can show up, they'll show up, they'll do their thing and they'll go away and they won't get that extra press. Um, which ultimately is basically what happened. Um, the, the, the march turned into a truck parade down Cherokee street. Um, it didn't have long-term attention to it. Um, Hmm. So she, you think she made the right strategic choice there, whether or not, you know, one wants to get into the whole Nazi question, obviously a huge question, but. (laughs) Right. And in terms of the right choice, it's really sort of the lesser of two evils, I suppose one could say, um, to be a bit cliche. Um, when faced with a bad situation, she um, she said, you know, let's try to mitigate the damage as much as possible. Um, because one of the tenants that Joyce and other leaders of the ACLU really wanted to protect was the idea that um, who the government would allow to have a protest or a march um, needs to be open um, and not something um, decided by the government based on um, personal preference. They can't decide who gets to protest and who doesn't. Right. Luce, um, turning to today, we've kind of gone through a whole bunch of history there very quickly, but what would you say is your chapter's primary focus right now? Oh, goodness. Um, Well, we have had um, several, uh, several cases that we've looked at and filed um, sort of relating to the COVID crisis and the civil unrest that has been ongoing. Um, So, for example, we have had, um, we just filed a case in Kansas City on behalf of three protesters who who were arrested and charged with violating two unconstitutional ordinances uh, while demonstrating nonviolently against police brutality and racial injustice. And that's very much... um, something that is on our radar right now. Uh, We have been training legal observers and dispatching them across all of Missouri uh, to make sure that when protesters are out and um, engaging in free speech activities, that their rights are being respected and that uh, police aren't abusing their power. So that's one area that is uh, very current right now. Uh, And then the uh, the other area really just relates to the COVID-19 crises. Uh, For example, we just had a uh, our Missouri Supreme Court hearing on our voting rights case. Uh, Voting rights issues are very important to the ACLU. Uh, Voting is instrumental to our democracy. And so we want to make sure that everyone has the ability to vote in the upcoming elections. Um, And so we have a case pending uh, that is about the ability to vote absentee during the pandemic to ensure that no one's putting their health at risk uh, when exercising their right to vote. And yet, that lawsuit, we've been following that carefully. I think we've already talked about that on this show at least three times. It's going to have such a major impact on our democracy here in Missouri. So that makes sense. That would be a major focus for you guys at this point. Miranda, I want to bring this back to you in just our our last couple minutes remaining. And that is, I know you've put so much work into this digital exhibit. That, again, is ACLU Mo at 100. Um, And as part of that, you're also 
giving a free virtual presentation tomorrow afternoon. This is part of WashU's 4th of July Anniversaries of Independence Celebration. What's the focus of that panel? Yeah, so tomorrow at our Independence Day event will be a panel looking at uh, the twin anniversaries of the 19th Amendment, the right of women to vote, which was also ratified in 1920. And I'll be delving into the stories behind Roger Baldwin's time here in St. Louis and going into more um, in depth about the time he met Margaret Sanger, his interactions with the police and and just his activism in St. Louis and um, how that led to the the origins of the ACLU in 1920. It's such an interesting story. And so that presentation, that's tomorrow, uh, July 2nd at 1 p.m. We'll have information about that on our website, which is stlpublicradio.org. We'll also have a link to this ACLU Mo at 100. So if you want to get up on 100 years of history, uh, Miranda has done a great job of of getting a lot of the highlights there. We highly encourage people to check this out, um, this digital presentation now that we can't do all this in the flesh. So Miranda Rechtenwald, of Washington University Libraries. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us on and highlighting this history. And Luz uh, Maria Enriquez, uh, Executive Director of the ACLU of Missouri, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you for having us. This has been great. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.